Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. I have a question for you guys. This is not theological, but I need opinions. You may have to I, talk me off the ledge here. I got tons I, of opinions. I have a desire. Didn't see this coming, but I, it, they just make sense to me. Um, and I've gotten like more dependent on my glasses. My eyes continue to get worse. And so I played golf last weekend. We had a missionary priest and played golf with my dad and brother, which is super fun. And I just had sunglasses on the whole weekend. But my dad was just, man, he was just rocking it with those, with his glasses that turn into sunglasses when he's in the sun. Mm, transition lenses. Yeah. And I'm like, gosh, I think I'm there. Like, I think I want some because it just is so practical. Mm -hmm. Thoughts? I've always thought they look kind of dorky when you walk inside and you still have sunglasses for like five minutes. <laughs> but they change, they change pretty quick in today's world, though. They change really? pretty quick. I was kind of hoping the question was going to lead to, should I wear rec specs more often? <laughs> and just, I know you're not asking that now, but if anybody is thinking that. The answer is always yes. It's yes. Yeah. No. I mean, that's obvious for sure on that. Well, Hey, could you do something like an in-between step where you maybe get those, you don't get sunglasses, but you get the glasses that connect over just regular glasses frames? I don't think that's an in-between step. I think that's a different animal. Mm -hmm. What? Yeah, I think there are three ways you can go here. You can do the dorky transition lenses like Mr. Johnson and his faithful son rob who's about to he do will it will crush you <laughs> <laughs> or the the second option would be uh what you're talking about which is like the well there's prescription sunglasses you can just go the more expensive route and just get two pairs of prescription okay i'm gonna glasses. stop you right there because i do have prescription sunglasses and they're great but it's just not it's not like convenient to carry two sets of glasses right when you're doing things like playing golf so then you can do the thing i think is it Dwayne wayne from one of these 90s sitcoms he had the flip up sunglasses that were like they would flip up oh snap i didn't even think about those you know what i'm talking about yeah absolutely is Dwayne wayne his name i'm gonna google it i don't know about that but i got flashes of like jackie chan and um Rush Hour. I'm drawing a blank on the 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 sidekick's name. Wow, I just nailed it. It is Dwayne Wayne. Dwayne Wayne. Hang on, I'm gonna look him up. Let's do Dwayne Wayne glasses, and then images. Who is Dwayne Wayne? It was a show I watched. I can't remember what the show was called. Okay, let it be known that that's basically what I'm saying. The flip up. Yeah. Oh, and I think some MLB players used to wear them as well. Those are, but not like that though. Those are old ball player sunglasses. They don't wear them over glasses. Wait. So yeah, do the ball players? Do they have 
they they aren't real glasses they're just flip up and flip down shades i think so oh they're not oh 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 no. i don't think yeah i don't think there's like the glasses under the ball player sunglasses hmm are they just goggles then when they're not being used as shades what? Because I, I feel like I've seen a, <laughs> I've seen outfielders just flip, flip the. Uh, oh, so they're just like frames with no glass. They and they flip up and down the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they're just sunglasses that flip up. Hmm. Just the lenses flip up. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I don't know, Rob. I think uh, the conclusion is you got to do what you, what feels right. Mm-hmm. You're right. Do whatever makes yeah. you happy. Mm-hmm. We should have just led with that. Well, you're saying it sounds to me like the subtext is you're feeling like you're getting a little old where you don't really care so much about the dorkiness aspect of it. It's the convenience. I don't want to carry on two pairs of sunglasses. Look at my dad. He's free. Yep. He does what he wants. And look at we're golfing. We go in to get a hot dog. We go out to play some golf. He no fuss, no muss. He never thinks about what's on his head. He just walks around and it shades him from the sun. That's close. That's or it close. Doesn't. Yeah, that's close. I'm like, I'm too old at this point. I I just want to I just want to do the right thing. You know, like I want to be me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Look, that's fine, but like that same logic has led to things like cell phone hip clips. <laughs> You're right. It did, Rob. Rob, you do not have a cell phone hip clip, do you? I do not. I do not. No. Is that like a I do not yet have that? <laughs> no, I'm I I, I don't I'm see you ever doing that. The hip clip is is not I would say at least in the next five years. I would, I would <laughs> can people still do the hip clip even with current cell phones? I'm I was gonna say, is that a thing anymore? Oh, oh no. I I told yes. Yes. I promise you. I've seen them recently. Hip clips are still a thing. Don't let them fool you, folks. The hip clip is still around. Well, what other kind of things? I'm trying to think what other decisions like this where it's like, I don't care how this looks. Well, I think that was the reasoning behind fanny packs going away or or coming Mm. into existence. And then people were like, whoa, I can't believe I'm doing this. (laughs) (laughs) I like the the idea of somebody having that revelation where at first they're like, oh my gosh, this is so convenient. Everything I need right here. I don't have to burden my pockets with all this stuff. It's just this pouch. And then they look in the mirror one day and like, oh my gosh, what have I done? (laughs) (laughs) Have some respect, man. What happened? (laughs) Um, Maybe Velcro shoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But kids still wear those. And then when you get really old, then they come back in. Mm-hmm. Which I, I totally get that. I haven't seen, I have not seen a cell phone hip clip in a long time. I've seen it, man. I've seen guys, especially in my reserve unit. Oh, they're all over it. Oh, yeah. Tactical hip clip. Tactical, Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I just think of a guy like whipping out his hip clip and then pulling out a stylus from the side of his phone. <laughs> and just Like having oh, that combo, that pilot? two combo. Oh, baby. Yeah, that's, that's, that that's guy's really unstoppable. Savage. 
definitely. He's, send, he's sending an email to the <laughs> internet. <laughs> hmm. Well, yeah. did we help? Did we help sway your mind on that? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, very profound thoughts. Yep. Anytime. So that was my question. Usually, you have really deep questions. I have to say. Oh. Um, That's all right. Let's we, see. We can stay on the surface. We can swim in the shallows today. Yeah, just like bask in the shallows once in a while, man. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been. Uh, what, I, I can go a little deeper. You got something, Mike? No, that was Rob that made the ooh. Oh, ooh, ooh, ooh. ooh. This is why we need ooh, video. Yeah. No, you can go. I was just going to ask what you guys were going to preach on this weekend it's the first one is this your first weekend with uh students back connor it is yeah same so i've been trying to been i've been kind of at a homilous wall so far mm. so we'll see wanted to be good you know isn't today tuesday I yeah i looked man oh. you are so on top of it dude he is he is it's really impressive well it's you I mean think about just in the future, think about how much time is saved by not switching glasses to sunglasses, <laughs> like how efficient that becomes. See, yeah. I, but I don't see that as a time saver. I see it more as like a, a space saver where it's like when I'm leaving the house, I already have. No, that's like, what I meant. Like I, that was a metaphor for like mental bandwidth of mm-hmm. like, I don't have to think about mm-hmm. where am I going to keep my glasses or sunglasses Mm-hmm. So those wheels can just be spinning out homilies months in advance, dude. You start putting that stuff together, that compounds yeah. on itself. That's a good point. Right? You probably, probably have the bravery done like for the year, six months in advance. Hmm. Oh yeah, that's right. Okay, get all that stuff out of the way yeah, so you can do just... real ministry. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I don't know. Look, all of that, all of those things are true about those glasses, and then you put them on. And you, and you walk inside and it's like, then you're wearing sunglasses inside, mm-hmm. you know, for, <laughs> for a solid a bad look for a solid five minutes, at least. Yeah. He's saying that they switch faster now. Well, we'll see. I can you believe science? That's the thing. No, oh, these days. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Modern technology. I, mm. What's your question, Connor? Or what are you preaching on either? Well, it's not really a question or a thing I'm preaching on, but I have been thinking, and I think you you alluded to this maybe last week or the week before, uh, the phrase squandered affections. Do you remember talking about this, mm-hmm. Roberto? Um, maybe not, but more just or think, less. Just thinking about, I, I was given a book um, on Mary and the Song of Songs called Beholding Beauty. I actually know this priest's nephew. His name's Gregory Cleveland is the priest, but I, I went to college with his uh, nephew, Joe. Shout out to Joe Cleveland. Um, he's an OMV priest. It's a beautiful book. Reading it kind of slow as a spiritual reading. And um, really opened up like, well, so kind of talking about Mary as the spouse of the Holy Spirit and the Song of Songs is this um, love song between God and humanity, the bride and the bridegroom. Uh, also something about the Song of Songs, I was a little embarrassed I'd never noticed, is the little, little uh, the letters that say who's talking. Have you ever noticed it? Have you guys dove, dove into the Song of Songs very much? A little bit. I don't know the letters, though. 
It has like, a B, G, and D. B for bride, G for groom, and D for daughters of Jerusalem, which are her like handmaids. And it totally made made much more sense of the poem because like it does sometimes flip in between who's talking. And when I read it, I just never, there's so many like italic letters and stuff in my Bible and little asterisks and things that I can't uh, comprehend all of them, right? I just have to block them out. And I was blocking out those, which are pretty key to understand who's speaking right now because there's not quotes. Hmm. Anyway, it made much more sense of it. And it also makes, I don't know, once you kind of get some sense of it, it becomes very intense, you know, it's passionate um, between lovers. And you're like, wow, this is the, this is the Bible. That's crazy. Um, but just kind of, uh, reflecting on the whole idea of desire. And I gave a little talk to my missionaries and staff yesterday, a little fervorino before we started the school year about what do you desire? Um, and reflecting my own life about squandered affections and, and disciplining desire, uh, such that it is directed in a way that opens me up more rather than closes me off. And the, the thing that came to my mind was the a difference between cravings and desires. Cravings being like a thing I want on any level, spiritual, non-spiritual, but that are bas- is basically ego-centered. Like I need to uh, draw a thing to myself to quiet a need, you know, and once it is quieted, once that appetite has been slaked, I feel full and I don't want it anymore. You know, and sometimes that fullness is uh, accompanied by some grossness, you know, like if you eat too much or, or whatever, watch too much YouTube, you just have this craving, a thing that you think you want. And uh, then once you have it, it stops being desirable. Whereas like a desire in the theological sense is this thing that kind of opens you up. And that's where Mary and the desire for the groom is like, it's not this craving for the other. It's this thing that makes you totally vulnerable because it's not a thing you can control. It's not a thing you just draw to yourself to consume, but it's this, uh, this mystery that you kind of behold and that inflames this. It makes you want it more the closer you are to it, you know? And that means not squandering, like to, to really like have that or to, to live in that longing means not squandering your affections on things that are just cravings, you know? Um, so it, maybe it gave me like a little bit of language to, this is somewhat the book and somewhat my own reflection, but to understand how like, it's not just a matter like with things like celibacy or fasting or anything where you're kind of saying no to a, a desire isn't, you know, not simply spiritual Olympics or trying to get spiritually swole by your self-denial and your discipline, but it's rather this channeling or or disciplining of desires so that they are not squandered, but rather intensified towards a thing that makes you even more open or more desirous, more passionate, more zealous. Does that make sense? That's what I've been thinking about. Yeah, I like it. Um, 
trying to think. I yeah, the say trying to flesh out the the distinction between cravings and desires a little bit more. Cause you're I'm and I like the the distinction you're you're drawing. Um just never thought about it in those those terms. Mm-hmm. But there's something there for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> like well the thing I the story I told in the in the homily yesterday for the rich young man was I may have shared this before, but um this priest who took these inner city kids fishing out on the coast in Boston and uh one of the kids got seasick in the in the port or whatever the marina and they took him back and then this mom who was one of the chaperones is like hey i actually know a boardwalk around here that has an arcade and anybody who's not feeling well can come like hang out we can get pizza and snow cones like every kid gets off the boat and pretends that they're seasick except for two boys stay with with the priest and the captain and they go fishing and neither kid had ever been out on the boat ever been fishing ever caught a fish anything like that and they had this awesome day and the kid was like that was the best day of my life and the priest is just kind of reflecting on all those kids that kind of went after the craving of like video games pizza um fitting in with the crowd whatever not not doing anything uncomfortable did not have the best day of their life you know um, but they wouldn't have even known it, you know, because they didn't, they didn't like let themselves want something more, you know, which at the time didn't probably wasn't an immediately appealing thing, you know? Yeah. Um, but those two kids somehow mysteriously were like able to say, no, actually, I think I want to stay. I don't really know what this is about, but I trust father Peter, you know, I've never been fishing. Like it's a scary thing to kind of enter to to let yourself want something that you're not even sure what it is, but then when you do, it opens you up to new things that make you want even more, make you more alive. And um, but the cravings thing, it like keeps you like attachments, addictions. It it's pegging that desire for the infinite, which is scary because it's unknown, onto something finite that you can control and you know. It's like a button you can push to quiet that desire and make you happy or some ersatz counterfeit happiness. So I'm going to, well, and this feel free just to toss this because I, I don't know that it exactly relates. It's just something that kind of in relating it to something I've been thinking about recently, but, um, so I've been, I've been deer hunting for like 20 years, I think. And we've gotten like way better at it. Um, And, but it's super fun to go back and tell the stories of like the early days when you were just so pumped to get like any deer. Um, And anyway, it just, but we have, we've gotten pretty decent at it and no surprise probably to anybody, but I killed a big old hoss buck last year. Um, and I just got him back from the taxidermist that we've used for a long time. And so anyway, um, it's been cool because it takes like a certain discipline and, and like know-how and um, patience and kind of a new level of patience to um, and, and some luck as well to get a deer like that, um, which is really cool. But the uh, my nephew 
uh, juice box is going to start hunting this year. So everybody's super pumped because he's probably going to get his first deer. And the taxidermist who, I mean, we've known for, he's a really good guy, but he was telling my dad the story of, he always does, he like does a discount to mount kids first deer. And I think he might donate some to like a, a big banquet thing for youth hunters and just trying to teach like the art of, um, hunting and everything. And he told this story of, um, this was last year or two years ago, he was at this banquet and this, this little kid, he's probably 10 or 11 had shot like this little tiny deer, but it was his very first one and he got it and he got it mounted. And he said, so Brian, this guy, he said, so I take it and he's like, this is like the littlest deer you've ever seen. And I, I give it to the kid. And he said he was so like, so excited that it was like, it was just like the best thing ever to witness. So he was literally at the banquet, like walking around with his deer, <laughs> like under his arm the whole time. Um, and I just thought that was so cool. Um, there. So why, why that, like it popped into my head of there's something like there's been a discipline in my life that has been cool. Like we've had a lot of great memories and a lot of great relationships formed around deer hunting and there's cool, like as you get better and like grow the discipline of it, you are better at it to try and shoot like, um, honestly, just bigger, bigger deer. And so there's this like kind of sportsman, uh, thing, thing to it, which is cool. But at the same time, we've lost that. And just whatever that is of like, this kid is just on cloud nine because of, because of this. And there was something like I was, and maybe what I was wording was like, man, my desire, like it hasn't really grown like around this, you know, besides just, and, or maybe it's grown like in the wrong way. So like the desire has grown, but not properly in me of like, I've lost kind of the, the awe of it, of whatever that kid had in that, in that moment. Um, so anyway, like I said, take it or leave it. Cause that was a stretch there, but there, it's just interesting. The distinction of like a craving and, uh, a desire to say like, I'm not going to, um, just, like succumb to these cravings in order to grow my desires. But there, there has to be like an added depth there of like, well, you have to be pretty in tune with what the desire is in order to grow it properly as well. Does that make any sense at all? Hmm. You have to be in tune with the desire is to grow properly. Yeah. And there, like, as it grows, there's, there's like a sobriety to it that it's not that overwhelming uh, excitement of like your first mounted deer. Um, I don't know. I'm just thinking of things that you, you do enjoy even more as you get into them. And, and with hunting is a good example too, because part of the enjoyment now no longer is oh my gosh, it's my first deer. I got it mounted. I want to show it off to everybody. That's a certain kind of happiness. But there's another kind of happiness of teaching a kid to shoot a deer and then watching him delight in in getting it and showing off his first mount, you know? Like there's layers of, of joy where it's this thing, like I said, has opened you up to a kind of generosity 
Mm. That's not like a short circuit of craving where all it is is about me and quieting this inner restlessness. It's like, you know what I mean? Making you yeah. more human, more open, more in communion with others. Dude, that openness to generosity is a big, that's a big thing um, of what we're getting at. Be yeah, and back to the deer hunting thing, because that's exactly, it's cool. It's been cool. Like we've, we've been talking about it for a year now, and it's like, gosh, man, I mean, it's been fun to, to get as many like nice deer as we have and kind of accumulate like a trophy room and all that stuff. And you're like, man, that's not what it's about. Like, this is actually like helping, you know, like kind of the first round of nieces and nephews be old enough to get ready to start hunting. That's like way, way better, like way better than, yeah, just whatever we've been doing, which has been super awesome and fun. It's exciting. Um, but there's like, yeah, it's a, it's way more exciting for juice box to get his first year than one of us to get just some monster buck, which will probably be me, but like, that's just, <laughs> let's be honest. Side note there. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm thinking of, um, I'm drawing a blank on the name of the story, but in Baron's Trinity of, uh, doctrine of God course, when he talks about, the um the faulkner the bear yes faulkner and the bear yeah mm -hmm. what's the name of that story might be the might be the bear the bear yeah what's the um, bear's name in it is it isn't it named? Berenson, or the berenstein bears I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> i'm I, close close uh but that in that whole story so there's you know beauty as being a transcendent characteristic of god that uh, when we see beauty, it inflames our desire for it. Uh, but yeah, and maybe this is this is just what's coming up in in terms of the distinction between a craving and a desire. Is that the craving we want to take and possess on our terms, and and to kind of use it? Uh, it's very easy to control. It's uh, under our dominion. Um, we can kind of take it into ourselves, but then the desire for like real authentic beauty is, is something that is quite out of our control, but it necessitates an openness where you're open to the other revealing itself as, as other. Whereas in the craving, it's like, no, I, I'm just going to take this and make it mine. But the desire demands us to like actually come out of ourselves. And that whole story, it's this tracking the bear and catching glimpses of it that leads you to to track it more but it's all on like kind of shaky ground you know it's like all in his territory it's all in the bear's domain um and and i think that's a part of why desire saves us when we actually authentically pursue it we have to we have to kind of put our own power aside it's like no i i need to be open to experiencing whatever this other thing is that's out of my control on its terms. And so it actually takes us out of our own like kind of walls and protective mode and um, desire to control the situation um, just in order to authentically experience the other. And I've definitely encountered that with especially other people, like when we try to box people and 
make relationships something that we can manipulate and yeah, dominate um, is very different than I guess like the phenomenological approach is what's coming to mind where like I do have to let this person be who they are and then be led with them uh, in this, in this other relationship. Um, yeah. It, does that make any sense? Cause I, I do have a, an image that's kind of coming up that I don't know. It, it's kind of been fun to play with in my head as you guys have been talking, but does that make any sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the, the image? Well, the image is a hot air balloon. Um, dude, I remember being younger and, and seeing hot air balloons for the first time. I'm like, this thing makes no sense. I have mm. no idea what's happening. <laughs> People are floating around in giant balloons in the sky. And they're cool and colors. The cool colors, very beautiful. And there's, oh man, when you get like a whole fleet of them, it looks pretty trippy. It looks, yeah, it looks like you're in a cartoon. Yeah, it looks amazing. It's, it's very beautiful. But all those people are like a thousand feet above the ground, very dangerous in a balloon, in a basket, with fire. And the fire, like, I guess the fire component, I, it took me a long time as a kid to wrap my head around, how is the fire not catching the balloon? Like, how is it not burning the whole thing down? Um, and I think when we have cravings, we want to say like, hey, I just put the fire out and let's stay tethered to the earth. Like, let's kind of stay where we, we know we have our feet under us. We know we're on stable ground. I know I have all the things that I need and can provide for ourselves. But then you let that desire flame up, and it is a bit dangerous. Uh, but it's also the thing that kind of takes you up, expands your heart to actually take you up into into heaven, into the clouds, you know. But, man, that's risky. That's super risky. Uh, and it's much easier to, yeah, just throw water on the fire and hop off and play a video game hmm. um, instead of, yeah, I mean, it, you know, experiencing being being taken up into heaven via your desires to allow them to expand, to grow, to burn. Um, but it also doesn't burn us. It expands us. Dare I bring up Athos? I mean, this is exactly how, Here we go. why I was so enchanted by that movie was I, I felt like that's what those guys were doing was uh it was not a renunciation of the world it was like i'm getting in a hot air balloon and i'm going to heaven not in not in the sense that like that one one limitation of that metaphor is that it takes you off the earth into the sort of rarefied air away from people but um with the monastic life of like athos or or any religious life, consecrated life in the East or West, like it, it does make you more in touch with human, the human existence, the the daily, the dishes, the gardening, the earthy right. stuff. But right, right. it does also keep that flame. It doesn't quench the flame with, with dumb things. It keeps the flame burning hot. And so it does lift your, your heart up to God all the time. Um, I was just looking through IPF notes the other day from that first week we did in uh, April. And there's something in the Corbone section of the catechism about like you can pray all the time 
I mean, it's so obvious. St. Paul says pray always, but just thinking of, I had written a note, like you can pray while you're doing the dishes. You can pray while you're folding laundry. Like when you live in this place of um, constant communion and that, that's what I feel like what we're talking about is when you don't have these times or places where you, you put that light out, you put that fire out with these cravings. And I mean, video games aren't the end of the world and food and the lower appetites. They're not, they can be, they can participate in desire. I think, you know, like when you make a meal, you eat a meal and you're not just thinking like, I'm super hungry and I can't stop thinking about eating. The meal is a place of communion and you can like serve other people and make it for them and enjoy the the goods of the earth in a way that does open you more to communion and generosity. But um, I noticed that at, at parties like in college where, you know, this is supposed to be a social atmosphere, but it's really just everybody getting drunk by themselves in the same room, you know, um, that was part of what was so sad about the party culture, you know, is that it was, it was like a thing that's meant a party is meant to be a place of communion, but because of the excess and the concentration on the, on the lower appetites, uh, it cut us all, it cut everybody off from each other, you know? Um, so by, yeah, I guess the monks on Athos just showed me like, you don't have to go off on a mountain. You don't have to go off on some peninsula away from the world to do that. Like we, we have it in our power right now with God's grace to, to let that fire burn hot. Um, but it takes intention. Yeah. And something that I found is that, and maybe this relates to your story as well, Rob, is that, um, I'm like, it's really hard for me to let that fire burn because, I mean, it's hot and uh, it, it can be painful at times uh, to be expanded by that and to have to kind of sit with the burning desire instead of just immediately quenching um, whatever the lower appetite is. And I have found that the things that that help me in choosing the deeper desire, not just the immediate want is having those encounters with beauty where I see something that is worth risking, uh, some immediate discomfort, you know, some, some immediate lack of satisfaction for, uh, like waiting for this greater good to, yeah, to, to encounter it. And, you know, I, I, you know, I just think of like your story, Rob, there. It's like you see that little kid and he's just head over heels over this little baby, little deer. You're like, dude, there's something incredibly beautiful about that. That is an invitation to return to like the root of the thing, the heart of the thing. And and so I like I need to see clear beauty that is an invitation to go into the deep to say like, OK, I actually this is worth it. Because if I just live here by myself on my terms, I'm going to be alone and I'm not going to have whatever I just saw in my life, you know, and I just can't do that. And so the, I guess the gift of beauty that, that frees us and makes the risk of following desire worth it. 
Yeah. There's a woundedness to it though. Like being wounded by beauty. It does open you up in a way that's, that hurts. Yeah. It's strange. Yeah. And then there's the double effect where it's like, well, you know, the, the situation where, what if we are so isolated? And I, I definitely have felt this at the parish at times where I'm so isolated that, um, not that I've blocked out all beauty, but like the deeper, the deepest attractions of my heart are almost in a sense, like twice removed, you know? So if I'm tracking this bear, um, or if I'm meant to track this bear to seek the good and, and to try to commune with the Lord, mixing a lot of metaphors, but in your hot air balloon. Yeah. In my hot air balloon. Don't get in a hot air balloon with a bear. That's (laughs) he will eat your face, (laughs) but it's like, what if I don't even leave my house? Then I'll, I'll never see the bear. Mm. Like I'll never even get a chance at the adventure of it. Now the cool part is like the Lord always, he can break in to any of those things, but man, it seems like there are more and more situations where not only, Am I not tracking the bear, but like, I'm not even out in the woods. I well, you know, kinda, it's interesting you know. that I, I'm watching this show with, uh, my new associate, father, Tim called Ted Lasso. Have I talked about the show at all? He's an he American soccer coach. Yeah. He's an American football coach who becomes an English soccer coach. <laughs> and, uh, he's just like the super nice guy. But one of the dramas in the show is that his, his family's kind of breaking apart, which is why he took the job in England to give his wife some space and their marriage is on the rocks. And anyways, <clears throat> it's a Christmas episode, which is weird because it came out like last week. I don't know. Maybe it's a COVID thing. The schedule's all messed up. But it was a Christmas episode where <clears throat> he was like doing Christmas with his son over FaceTime. And predictably, it's kind of lonesome. The kid wants to play with his gift that he got him. So he gets off the FaceTime and he's just sitting there watching It's a Wonderful Life, drinking whiskey by himself. And his boss comes by and uh, she also had had a divorce and she remembered the first Christmas uh, after the divorce being really sad. So she comes by and just to check on him and says, hey, come on, let's do something. And she every year gives gifts to kids who write letters to Santa. And so they go around just delivering presents to um, people in poorer neighborhoods and surprising the kids and uh, he ends up having this awesome day. And to your point about leaving the house, that was my first reflection was like, here's something in pop culture where it's just this obvious truth that the whole desire of Christmas, the truth of like those who want community destroy community. Cause you just like, you, you need other people around you to make you feel what you imagine the Christmassy vibe to be like, I want to, I want that magic. I want that happiness. And it's all about like me. I'm at the center um, but the moment he got out of that and cause it was like not happening for him and just tried to create it for anyone else was the moment he felt it. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, I guess that's what I'm talking about is like the, the flame of desire gets you out. <laughs> it gets you up and it's not, I remember actually speaking of Christmas, I remember my first Christmas as a priest, I didn't say a single mass in English didn't hear a single English Christmas carol. I said all these masses in Spanish. And uh, I was kind of like, wow, I I guess I pictured Christmas as a priest, like 
going my way or the bells of St. Mary, like I'd be walking around in a cassock and a Santa hat and everybody, you know, just be like this vision of what being a parish priest at Christmas would be like. And it was like, not like that, but it was beautiful in a different way that I didn't expect because I was there for other people. Um, yeah. Well, we're getting close here. One of you guys have mass or something? I got a Tuesday evening mass. I had all the time in the world. Wow. I uh, I was going to celebrate what's a nine o'clock mass over here, which is in 30 minutes. So I, I mean, I still get a little bit of time. Do you have follow on thoughts to that? I don't. Hmm. Rob, what do you think? You haven't said anything in a while. Mm. Something for your family? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, I, yeah, I think the, back to your original um, thought, you started that with the book on Song of Songs, right? right. Mm-hmm. Um, there. Yeah, no big, I guess no big like synthesis um, thought necessarily, but that's good stuff. It's interesting. I mean, how do you... Um, you know, how do you, how do you order, I, I guess like maybe relating it all, it's just like pondering the question of like, how do you, um, how do you properly order like desire, man? I, I like the distinction between like cravings and, and desires. I think that's important. Um, it's just kind of getting down to the, the core of, you know, we've, we just don't very often know what we actually want. Like that's, Mm. that's the issue with desire, you know? Um, and like you see it, you know, like the Athos, um, thing of like there, man, there's something, something there that they are in tune with something deeply human and everything. But, uh, um, just a lot of trick paths, man, like in, in life. Um, but if you can actually, if you actually hone in on like, what do I actually want? Um, that's a, yeah, that's a very powerful way to live for sure. Yeah. And I'd say it's the main way God draws you forward into what you're meant to do and be. Yeah. Is by your own desire. But yeah. It's a, it's a mystery because you don't really know what you want, but you have to kind of, you have to kind of say yes to the inkling that there's something more there that you do want that gets you to step out of your room and your house to go do something different. Yeah. You know, cause yeah, it, I think- like that's the trap of discernment too is like, okay, I need to figure out what I want so that I can figure out what I want to do. And so I'm going to sit here and just think about it and nothing happens. You know, it's more like this, positive feedback loop where once you start and part of it is saying no to the cravings part of it is saying like yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna go out into this desert here where it seems like there's no food or water and i'm gonna go get fed with something from heaven that i didn't even know i wanted you know yeah which which makes it ultimately a yes to to something more right but it, and maybe that's where the theological virtues, which I mean, they're always at play, but like I have hope and faith in something that I can't yet see, 
but I totally believe is real. And uh, yeah, man, like the last, I, I wanted to start the, a new book. I, I've heard amazing things about it. Uh, Anna Karenina by Leo Tos- Tolstoy. Mm. And I've actually never read any Tolstoy. And like the last two nights, I've only gotten through the introduction. So I'm like, all right, we're getting in into the room early. We're going to read and go to bed. It's like, shoot, you get that phone, man. Yeah, the phone <laughs> there it goes. Right. It's I'm like, like the I, definition I, of craving. I know I'm going to love this book. I know I'm going to love it. But you just get trapped in those things. And, and then you're like, oh, I'm too tired to read now. And it's going to go to bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I, I experienced it in a very real way. Because um, you know those, those classics are just going to be amazing. Speaking of which, have you um, have you read any more of Kristen Lavron's daughter, Rob? No, it was a little bit, but it's been a it was a slow a slow week. I've been reading just in the evenings, but was tired and um, yeah, it was super fun uh, weekend. I hadn't had a weekend like with coverage in a way since January, I think. So mm-hmm. just to be able to cool uh, kick it and everything was really really nice and so played golf saturday and sunday which was which was great so anyway Tolstoy. the only tolstoy i've read though was the death of ivan illich have you ever read that no oh man it's short it's it's only probably like 150 pages it wouldn't take you very long but if you ever want to read a book to just be utterly convinced that like the world is going to continue when you die read <laughs> that book um, right. it i mean it's kind of like oh man um but it's definitely yeah it was it was good it was good but it's it's not it's kind of a drab um read but mm. it's just like whoa man yeah i mean some people will be upset when i die but in the grand scheme of things not that many <laughs> and <laughs> And like really? everybody's <laughs> going to keep on living. That's for sure. Right. <laughs> mm. Oh man, that's, that's a rough. Well, on that note, I should get going. All right. Thanks duders. See you. Same. See you guys. Oh, Clubhouse tomorrow, Wednesday, 3 PM. Yep. Got it. Yep. Let us do it. All right. See you then. See you up. Peace. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisque, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.